want I want to ask how many of you are going through a trial right now? You're going through a, a just a tough, difficult time. All right. I would venture to say, if not all of us, you know what, 80, 85% of us are. God is trying to change us through our difficulty. And we want the difficulty to go away, but God's saying, it's my tool that I'm using to, to perfect you, to get you to where you need to be, all right? And so it's, it's with that that we're going to launch into this. If I can't get through all of this today, we'll finish up next Sunday. But I think, I think we can get all the way through this. It's continuing on from last Sunday. Do you remember we talked about Matthew 18? We read Matthew 18, the first uh, five verses. And if you'll recall, uh, we were focused on unless you change and become. Unless you change and become. And the point being last Sunday was we don't want to just change what we do. We need to change who we... No, excuse me, let me back up. We need God to change who we are. We can't... You can change yourself a little bit, but God has to change you. I can't change myself. I can change a habit here or there, change a little bit. I can try really hard, but at the end of the day, God has to change me, and I have to become a different person. We were talking about personalities. God wants to change our personality, believe it or not. He wants to change our personality because he has a lot better personality for us. Uh, so let's launch into this and pray first. Lord Jesus, I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, enlighten us, instruct us as to where we are right now. If we can see, uh, if we were to see the map of our lives and see where we stood and what the future holds for us, we would uh, we would be more pliable because we would know, hey, the difficulties I'm going through right now are molding me and making me into the new person that God wants me to be, just like this gentleman had texted Christy. Lord, the difficulties that he's going through is leading, not the difficulties themselves, but is leading him into the, into the salvation of his soul. And each setback is teaching him that he needs a little bit more change, that God needs to change him a little bit more. God, show us, enlighten us. Lord, link the word of God to our specific situation in life so that we can uh, work and cooperate with you in the changes that you have for us, God. In your name I pray, amen. So today's message is called Chosen and Changed. Chosen and changed. And it comes from, again, Matthew 18, because I told you last week was a, a tad bit of a rabbit trail, but we're coming back to the essence of the scripture. Matthew 18, it says, and I'll read it to you again, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And remember, these disciples were thinking Jesus was going to be king of the world or of Israel at that point in time, and they were lucky enough to be hanging out with him so that when he was promoted to kingship and sovereignty, that they would be right there with him, and they would just move right into a high-level governmental position in that, that, that point in time. I'm, I know that's what they were thinking. That had to be what they were thinking. Um, but what were they really saying? Who will be the greatest? Well, when you say, who's the greatest, what you're asking is, who's better than everybody else? If I want to be the greatest, it means I want to be better than you guys. 
That's what you're asking. When you're, when you're saying, uh, who's the greatest? Who's the better of everybody else? And what that means is we're essentially comparing each other to one another. And I'm looking at you and thinking, I'm either better than you or worse than you. All right. And when I do that, it leads to one of two reactions, either insecurity, because I look at you and I say, you're way more talented, way better than I am. That leads me to insecurity. Or if I look at you and I think, no, actually, I'm better than you are. That leads me to pride. And so pride and insecurity are two sides of the same coin. If you are prideful, if I'm prideful, that's a sin. If I'm insecure, that's a sin. (laughs) I don't want either one of them. I don't want to compare myself to you. I want to be who God calls me to be. I don't need to be better than you. I don't need to be worse than you. In fact, the Bible says, uh, it, it says, look at each other in awe. And I'm paraphrasing. Be in awe of each other. Look at each other and see the giftedness in you. But don't let it make you feel insecure about yourself. All right? Be amazed at the good thing. I'm going to keep talking, Keith. I'm sorry. at the good things in each other's lives. Just be amazed in awe. But also be in awe of the good things that God has dropped into your life, into your heart. And so it's not about being the greatest. It's not being about the best. It's about being who God has called you to be and be joyful and happy in that. So Jesus replies to this question. He says, he called some little children, some pipsqueaks, Some little kids that hadn't had a chance to be prideful or insecure quite yet. And he says, he placed the children of the child among them. And he says, truly, I tell you this, unless you change and become, that's what we talked about last week. Unless you change and become like this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What was he saying? Unless you become lowly and little like this child, you won't enter into God's choosing. Because we're talking about chosen and changed today. You won't enter into God's choosing. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whoever takes the lowly position in life and stops trying to always be right I had a friend tell me, he said, he was talking about his marriage. He said, you know what? It doesn't pay to always be right. <laughs> I thought, that's a good one. It's okay to say, you know what? Even if I'm not wrong, you're right. You're right. We'll just move forward. I like the harmony of this relationship. It doesn't pay to always be right. And so he was saying, you know what? If you're lowly, you don't always have to be right. And, and, uh, you're going to enter into God's choosing. You'll be able to get into the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. So when you enter into God's choosing, and that's the big theme for today, when we enter into God's choosing, he changes you for the better. He changes you for the better. I don't know about you. There's this big, beautiful door of God's choosing, and I want to be on the other side of that door. I want to be one of the chosen ones of God. Don't you want to be chosen of God? I do. I want to go through that door, and I want to be chosen of God. Well, you know what? Getting through that door is going to require some change in my life. 
it's going to require some change. Now, me allowing myself to change isn't, isn't, uh, isn't salvation in and of itself, but it's part of the salvation process is to allow myself to be changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. And then when I get to that degree, there'll be another degree. The, the, the process of positive, sanctifying change of being made holy is a lifelong process. And we don't get there until we get to heaven. All right? So what, let, let's look back at this statement, though. Taking the lowly position of a child. This is, this is what's hit me right between my eyes this week as I studied this for myself. Would you ever want me to talk about something that's not about me? There's no passion in that. I'm not going to talk about what's just for you. I've got to tell you what God is doing in my life, and I pray that that's a blessing for you. So taking the lowly position, uh, first of all, look at that word take. It's to accept the humbling circumstances you were dealt. Accepting the humbling circumstances that you were dealt. How many of you have been humiliated at one point at a time in your life? We can all remember with pain in our memories and in emotions the humiliating circumstances that we've been through. Let me tell you what, we need to accept in some respects the humiliation that comes with that because God exalts the humble. You could honestly say that humiliating thing that you went through was the best thing that ever happened to you if you will accept it as such. Because it gets you down to the place where God can change you. If you're not humiliated, we don't like that word. We like the word humbled. But if I put it into human terms that feel something, I'm going to use the word humiliated. If we're humiliated, God gets us to the place where we can change. If we're prideful, which is the other extreme, God won't change us. He says, I guess you got it covered. I guess you got it figured out. So take that humiliated, humiliating experience and say, God, I'm going to go down to that lowly place of a child and I'm going to start letting you change me. I'm going to start letting you change me chosen and changed. So it says again, take the lowly position is to become low, to become low. I'll never forget this, man. I had a job situation happen to me, knocked me over the side of my head. And I was like, God, what do I do? What do I do? And he told me these two words, maybe it was two words, three words, actually. <laughs> he said, I want you to serve, to be humble and serve. Be humble and serve. When you are humiliated, what should your be reaction? To, to you, know, uh, you know, stiffen up and reject it or to say, no, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. Because in humility is the change itself. The humbling is where you actually change. So don't stiffen up. Don't become defensive. Go down to that humiliated exp experience and allow God to change you through it, all right? And in doing so, what happens? This is, so I'm gonna keep referring probably back to uh, Christy's example here. What happens to this doctor of high position? Christy said he's fit, he's used to running and exercising, he's fit, he's successful. He loses some of his, his, his abilities, his capabilities, 
And what happens? He goes down into a humiliated situation. He begins to depend on God. He begins to depend on God. Look at when you began to depend on God. Was it not through a humiliating situation and circumstance? Therefore, is that not the best thing that ever happened to you because you finally put your faith in God? And as this individual said, I feel like my soul has been saved. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we dismiss reliance on self, empty our egos so it can't be bruised. And you know what? When the Bible says this, he exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. Let's stop trying to promote ourselves and let's let God take us from that humiliated state and exalt us to where he wants us to be, like only he can do, all right? So will you, listen to this carefully, will you with me enter into God's choosing by cooperating with him in the humbling circumstances of life? Let me put it to you very shortly. Cooperate with God when you're humiliated. Cooperate with him. Don't reject it. Don't throw it off. Don't blame. Because when you're humiliated, it's very easy to blame. I do it all the time. I get humiliated. I've had a couple of recent humiliating experiences. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. You know what? Back off of that and cooperate with God in the changing, uh, transforming, conforming uh, process that he's trying to put you through so that you depend on Jesus. Well, let's look at a couple of other scriptures. That kind of launches this off. We go into Matthew 19, 13. So we're hovering in here in Matthew 18. We jump over to Matthew 19, verse 13. And Jesus uses the same example. He says, then, when, then uh, people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands off. If you had a child and Jesus is around, wouldn't you like to bring your child and let him just touch your child? You know, bless your child. My goodness, absolutely. Jesus, touch my son. Here's people saying, here's Jesus, let me bring my child. Who cares about me? As a parent, you could care less about yourself. As long as your child succeeds, you don't really care anymore, right? Let them succeed. They bring their children to Jesus. Um, but what happens? Here's this band of dumb disciples around Jesus that rebuke them and try to push these, these people and their children off. Jesus says, let little children come to me. Little children, lowly children. All right, let them come to me. Don't hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Choosing belongs to such as these little children. Then he placed his hands on them at the relief of their parents and he went on from there. Now, this is kind of stream of consciousness here. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know what? There's a verse that says, whoever comes to Jesus, he won't push away. I was like, what is that verse? I look it up. John 6, 37, it says, for all of those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I was thinking about that. Little children, parents with their children. He says, no, no, I'm not driving you away. Come here, come here. Let me tell you what, you and me, we come to Jesus. He'll never push us away. No matter how rotten we are, no matter how ignorant we are, no, no matter how misinformed we are, he'll say, you're coming to me. I'm accepting you. Come on. He gives us a big old bear hug. See, I see God the Father's as 
big old, huge, massive person, uh, almost as a, I I don't want to pay him. Any any thought I have of God is undermining him. So please don't think that I'm bringing God down into human form, but I just see him as huge, but big and willing to just give me a big old bear hug. You know, we used to have a pastor, Brother Ben Hodge Jr., who was a middle Hodge, big old massive guy. And when I first walked into the church, he came and he got me under his big old arm and just gave me a big old hug. I see God is just massive, big, but accepting. Anybody that comes to God, he will in no wise cast out. He won't drive away. Well, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, wow, there's another verse here. What, What is it? that God, draw whoever comes to him is actually drawn by God. And I was like, where is that verse? Well, it's in John 4, uh, 6, 44. It says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So every man, every woman, every child that's ever come to God has been drawn by God, has been drawn lovingly by God. All right? And so then I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, well, is are there only certain people that are drawn by God? Uh, does God draw everybody to him at some point in their lives? Well, I have good news for you on that question. John 12, 32 says, I, when I'm lifted up, this is Jesus from the earth, in other words, on the cross, I will draw all people unto me. I will draw all people unto me. Thank goodness that there's not just a chosen few that God draws, but he draws all men, all women, all children unto him. But why does he do that? Why would it be all and not just a select few? Well, John 3.16, just picture me. I'm, I'm like, oh, one thought's leading to another, to another. And I remember John 3.16, obviously it's probably the best well-known scripture in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world not just a chosen few, not just a select, not just a handful. He loved the whole. In fact, when the Bible talks about the world, he's talking about the lost, the sinners, the people that don't know him, the people who are even rebellious towards him. He loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in God, not just a chosen few, not just a select few, whoever believes in God will not perish, but have eternal life, will be chosen. <laughs> Praise God. Will be chosen like this doctor who has a humiliating experience and finally says, I'm depending on God and my humility. And he has his soul saved in the process. My goodness, that's awesome. So we look at our humility and experience and say, thank God. God for humiliating experiences that gets me down in the dirt and the dust again to depend on my God. To depend on my God. He loves everybody. Thank God. Look at this. 2 Peter 3.9. I'm still jotting down thoughts this week for myself personally and it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some, some men count slackness, but is long suffering towards us and is, is not willing that any should perish. Not any. Not me, not you. And not anybody outside. Not anybody that's sleeping in on Sundays. <laughs> all right? Not anybody. He's not willing to anybody. But that all should come to repentance. 
All right, so what's the will of God? The sovereign will of God. In his sovereignty, he doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance. And then I found this wonderful scripture in Ezekiel 33, 11. By the way, all of these scriptures that I'm mentioning are on your reading this week. So if you're like, oh, I didn't get that one, pick up one of these sheets and you'll have it, all right? Ezekiel 33, 11 said, uh, uh, God says to Ezekiel to say to Israel, surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. I love that. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. And he says, turn, turn from your wicked ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? (laughs) He was talking to the chosen people of Israel who turned their backs on God. So it begs the question, as I'm thinking here, all right, choosing, entering into God's choosing, my decision in that process, it says, so here's my question, do we choose God or does God choose us? This is something we've talked about in the past. It's not the first time, but not all of us have been here in the past, so I'm going to say it again. Do we choose God or does God choose us? What do you think? He chooses us. Thank goodness. (laughs) He chooses us. Let me read you some scriptures. And and, and I'm going to read you just some staunch scriptures, black and white scriptures that state the truth, all right? John 15, 16, it says, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. No, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. He didn't just choose us to be saved and lived an easy life. He chose us to go do something. So if we're talking about choosing here, it's not about choosing for salvation and eternal life. It's that first. But it's for you and I to go do something for God in our lives. To be useful to God in our lives. Amen? And so he predestines us, which means he's pro-horizo. He gives us this horizon of opportunity. He says, go. I've made it possible for you to do mighty things in your life. Go with my power. Go with with my abilities and giftings. But he chooses us. Ephesians 1, 4. It says, and I'm reading from the Amplified version on this one, but even as in his love, he chose us, actually picked us out of the world for himself in Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and consecrated and set apart and blameless in his sight, even above reproach, before him in love. There again, it says, God chose us with a purpose. Ephesians 1.11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with a purpose of his will. It says it again. I'm not reading all the scriptures. I had loads of scriptures, and I just narrowed them down to, I think, four here. Romans 8.33, it says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God that justifies. So without a doubt, God chooses us. We don't make that initial choice of God. He, he does the reaching out to us, and it's, uh, it's our part then to latch hold of him. But let's read on or, or think through these scriptures. If you read these only four scriptures in the Bible or wrote, read scriptures just like them, and it just you just had a narrow focus, you could draw some squirrely conclusions. You could draw some inappropriate conclusions. What might they be? Well... 
you might conclude that God in his choosing some, therefore unchooses, if there's such a word, unchooses others. In other words, I choose you for heaven and then well, I'll choose you guys for hell. All right? That's what some, a lot of Christians believe that. It's unfortunate because it's not biblical. <laughs> but that's not, that's not how the Bible reads at all. That's not how the heart of God is reflected to us in scriptures at all. It's not how the heart of God is revealed to us in our personal experience at all. No, 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 absolutely not. And, and so we have to read the Bible as a whole. You can't take one scripture, a set of scriptures, and make a, a teaching out of it. No, you read the whole Bible. You read the whole context of, of what you're looking at, and you draw interpretation that way. You draw interpretation that way. So let's back off. As we've zoomed in, you have to do this. You zoom in on a set of scriptures. Now let's back out from that set of scriptures and get a little bit broader context. And we, we find in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, 14, the word chosen again. We're talking about chosen and changed, but we, we find the word chosen again, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Jesus makes a statement after telling a parable or telling a story. It says, for many are invited but few are chosen. Oh, okay, all right. So there's an invitation in this choosing process that we've got to consider. And, and in this parable, I won't read it, and I'm not even going to give you the whole, the whole parable itself, but essentially there's this banquet prepared by this king, and he says, go out and invite people, or bring in the people that are invited into this, uh, in, into this banquet, all right? But the people refuse him, and they start giving excuses. I can't come. i got to do this. i got to do the other thing. And so at some point, the king says, look, just go out and invite everybody, because the people that I originally invited aren't coming. Go out everywhere and bring them in, all right? And Jesus, at the end of, of this parable, says, many are invited, but few are chosen, Few enter into the choosing that God has for them. And I, I picture this, and I'm going to say this more than once, but it, this banquet table, and if you're invited, usually there's a little name tag there, right? It says, I'm going to use music, it says Steve Norman. And so I walk into this banqueting hall, and I know there's a seat just for me, a seat of choosing, a seat of invitation, a seat of calling. And I come in, and I find my name. <laughs> it's embarrassing to come to a place when you're not invited, right? And your name wasn't set up there. And I sit down, and that's my place. Now, if I hadn't come, would that place still exist for me? Yeah. All those places were still there. But the people who were invited didn't show up. The place of choosing... The room of, of choosing was there, but the people who were invited and called didn't come and show up. Do you think God would ever invite you and then say, nope, you're not chosen? That was a funny joke. Sorry. Of course not. That's not the, that's not, doesn't have logical sense and it doesn't have biblical sense either. All right. So the tone in our understanding of God's choosing changes as we begin to read the rest of the Bible and, and, and come back out of focus on these scriptures that I just read to you. All right? So obviously, God's choosing comes with his calling. He says, you're chosen. Come on. You're chosen. 
I'm calling you. Come into your choosing. He invites us. It requires us to receive and accept that choosing. It's very clearly stated there in John 1.12. It says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We receive, and I, always, I love this example of a man rescuing a drowning victim. I can try to pull you out, but if you don't latch onto my arm, how can we jointly cooperate to get you out of that water you're drowning in? We've got to receive the salvation that's offered to us. Is that a good work to receive? Is that earning anything? No. If I receive a gift, there's no earning of anything. I'm just receiving it. I'm just taking it. I'm just accepting it. And so John 1.12 does not say... He gave certain people the right to become children of God, and therefore they believed. It's not what it says. It says they believed, they received, and he gave them the right. He entered into their choosing. He gave them the right to become children of God. Similarly, here in Revelations 3.20, Here I am, Jesus says, standing at the door. I'm knocking anyone who hears my voice and opens the door. Not who's chosen, but anyone. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with that person, and they with me. I'll tell you what, it's, it's important to understand how this choosing works and how God operates. He is certainly, certainly not chosen arbitrarily and predetermined fashion, a certain group that will go to heaven and a certain group that will go to hell. It is those who enter into his choosing that makes that decision. All right, so the question is then, as I've already kind of alluded to, does God's, is God's choosing some unknowable, mystical thing, unsearchable that you and I can't ever grasp or ever know? Or is there a method to God's choosing? Is there a means to God's choosing? Well, first, we need to understand that the salvation of our souls and our lives is met on no condition inside of ourselves. Because the Bible is very clear, and I believe this 120% because the New Testament hammers it into our souls and our heads. But second, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Not by works, so that no one can boast so there's absolutely no way in this whole world that I could ever do anything good enough to earn God's salvation of my soul. It is because of his love and his grace that I'm saved. And furthermore, he gave his son to die on the cross while I was still a rebel, while I was still pushing against God, while I was still disinterested in God. Because in Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, now we're kind of in a corner. <laughs> All right? There's something, there's some kind of condition to his choosing. And what is that condition? But that condition is not found in the heart of mankind. Fortunately, the Bible is extremely clear of how God chooses us. And this is unfortunately overlooked, I think, by theologians all over the place. It's found in James 2.5 and several other places throughout the Bible. Let me, let me read it to you. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God chosen those, has, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world 
to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he has promised those who loved him. Is that not God, who, who God chooses? The poor of the world, the humiliated of the world, the lowly of the world, those who have gotten low enough to depend on God. Therefore, the choosing doesn't depend on us. It depends on whether we're ready to reach out and accept God's choosing. I've got scripture after scripture, but let, let's look at this word poor. Someone who crouches and cowers and begs, who doesn't have enough for themselves. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because they've gotten low enough to where they say, Jesus, I've got to have your help. And at that point, they can enter into God's choosing. They come to the end of their rope. They come to the end of themselves and they reach out to God. Now, let me ask you, do you need some horrible tragedy to get you to that place? No. We can come to the end of ourselves right now and say, God, I need you right now. I'm done. I'm finished. Please help me, Lord God. We don't have to have a super humiliating or 35 years of addiction to get to the end of our rope. We can get to the end of our rope right now and reach our hand out to our creator, and God will reach and save us. It says, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's the man or woman that calls on the name of the Lord? The person who's desperate, the person who can't do it themselves anymore. They're chosen of God. That's what the Bible says right here. Is there a criteria for God choosing his people without let me restate this. There is definitely a criteria God uses in choosing his people, but without compromising his grace. But without compromising his grace. Our poorness, our inability qualifies us to be chosen of God. Isn't that wonderful? It's not our gifts. It's not our talents. It's our poorness and our inability that's qualifying us for the choosing of God by God. Let me read you a couple more scriptures. Just We're going to be six more minutes here. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, if, if that James scripture wasn't enough for you. Brothers and sisters, Paul says to the Corinthian church, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were a noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. See, if God chooses me based on my inability, I can't brag about that. If God chooses me based on my uh, depths of depression that I can't get out of, I can't brag about that. If God chooses me because I, I give a lot of money to the, you know, I, I can't give a lot of money to the church. I don't have enough money to, to, to put a, a meal on the table. I can't brag about that. God chooses me based on my weakness, not on my strength. Isn't that encouraging? If that's not enough for you in Deuteronomy, even in the Old Testament, uh, in, in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and verses, verses 7 and 8, the Lord, did, uh, Moses is saying to Israel, the Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. He chooses the, low, the little children, 
the lowly people, the people that can't deal with their problems, the people that are overwhelmed, the people that have too much on their plate. God's choosing you. Would you reach out to him and say, I accept your choosing right now. I accept it, God. I'll receive it. I'll go through those doors. I'll shed my ego and selfishness and bragging and pride and insecurity. I'll shed all of that. I'm going through the doors with you. I want to be chosen. So the last example I'll give you is found in Matthew 19.6. In the following verses, see, you see, we're knocking out Matthew 18 and 19 all in one fell swoop, man, through this. This is incredible. Matthew 19 and 16, and so it says that there's this man that came up to Jesus, and in the account in Mark, remember the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the same story is told. It says this young man actually ran to Jesus and knelt before him. Now, let's say you're in the, you're in the mall, you're walking along, and somebody comes running at you and then falls at their knees before you. All right, you would think this person was either crazy, um, imbalanced, or desperate. In this case, this man was desperate. There had to have been other people walking, standing around. And this man runs to him in desperation, in humility. All right? He, he comes in desperation, humility, desire. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? What good thing must I do to be chosen? Tell me, teacher. I want to know. Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. And if you want, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which one, he inquires. Jesus replied, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors yourself. Verse 20 says, I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? He still, still felt like was something was missing. Jesus answered, and in another, another account of this, it, I think it says Jesus loved him. He looked at him with love, and he answered, he says... If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. He was calling him into choosing. He was saying, come, follow me. Come into me. He called this man just as he'd called his 12 disciples and many others. Do you think Jesus invited this man without having a place for him? <laughs> a place of choosing, a place of acceptance? No. It was, the choosing was there. The calling was there. The love was there. But in verse 22, the young man heard this, and he went, he turns away, and went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't think it was the last time that Jesus called him. <laughs> because how many times has God come to you and you said, no, not yet? A little bit more humility. He comes to you, no, not yet. A little bit more humility, no, not yet, until finally one day you say, yes, God. <laughs> I believe God kept pursuing this young man, maybe through the means of the Holy Spirit, a, 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 another Christian. Who knows what he ultimately did, but God keeps pursuing you. And he kept, keeps allowing life circumstances to get you more and more lowly because God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble.
praise God. And so uh, it, it, it says he, he walked away sad because he had great wealth. He didn't walk away because he wasn't chosen of God, though. That's not why he walked away. He didn't walk away because God had predestined him to hell. He didn't walk away because of his, he, he walked away for one reason, his own personal decision. His own personal decision is why that young man walked away. In verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because I tell you, it is easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't say this man can't enter into the kingdom of heaven because he's not chosen. Jesus pointed out the fact that the young man had just not reached an end to himself yet. <laughs> Have you reached an end to yourself yet? Are you ready to enter into God's fullness, his choosing? Say, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm tired of myself. I'm tired of me. I want to be changed and I want to be chosen. I want to go into God's choosing. Just a verse or two more. Verse 25, the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished and said, who can be saved? And I would have asked the same question. I might not be wealthy, but I know my heart. <laughs> I know the things that trip me up. All right. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why? Because God knows how we're made. He knows the only way to get us dependent on him is through a humbling of our hearts. And so he works with us little by little. He, if he did it all at one time, we'd die. We'd just explode. We couldn't take it. But he works with us little by little until we get to the place where we say, I just can't do it, God. You do it. That's how God makes it possible for us. His saving grace, gently, carefully, over the life, a period of our lifetime, he humbles us until we're dependent on God, just like our friend did that Christy just, just read about. Peter answered him, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? <laughs> He's still thinking that way. But the, the, the last verse, verse 30 of this story, Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Let me tell you what, cooperate with humiliating circumstances. Cooperate with them. Don't resist them. Let God teach you what he's trying to teach you. Let God fill you with what God is trying to fill you with. Let God free you from what he's trying to free you from. Come to an end to yourself. Open the door of your life and let Jesus come in because Jesus loves the whole world. There's not a soul out there that God doesn't have a place of choosing for. Let me tell you what, there's people right now that are going to hell that God never intended to go to hell. There are people right now, if God, if we'll offer ourselves to God, he will use us in a mighty way to save souls. Let's